Thank you guys for letting me be here with y'all this morning, Chet. Thanks for that intro. Um, my wife could not be here with us this morning. She is in Maine right now. We got a call a couple of weeks ago from uh, friends of ours in Maine. Uh, I pastored a church in Maine for about six years before we went overseas. And they called an ad, their missionary got sick for their children's camps, and so they wanted us to come and do that. And I thought, well, I can't do that, but my wife's free to go. So she's been gone the last two weeks, and it's been a little... Uh, Quiet around the house, needless to say. Um, but she wanted me to make sure that, uh, you know, I extend greetings to you all. And every time we go to one of our churches, the, whether it's in the association, in the state, wherever we end up going, we always take the time to say thank you. Um, for those of you who don't know uh, our, our history, we actually served in North Africa for 10 years and South Asia for the last four years. And churches like this, uh, in, 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 by supporting Southern Baptist work, and th- you, you guys supported us. We did not have to go around asking for money. We did not have to go from place to place. And I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm just saying, I promise you, that's a huge weight off our shoulders to not have to worry about the support, to know that our kids were going to get an education, to know that we were going to have a place to stay, to know that we're just going to have a good water filter on the wall that you guys support it. And, and, and I don't know if any of you have been in South Asia, but India's water is not the cleanest in the world. And so those little things add up to be huge things when you're actually there. And we could not have been on the field and seen God work the way he did through national pastors, through churches around the world, and without churches like you who gave and helped us be able to do that. And so everywhere we go, we, we, we cannot say thank you enough. And so just, I wish you could see my heart. I wish you could just know how much we appreciate each and every one of you. you I don't know who you are by name, the vast majority of you, but each one of you were, uh, as William Carey said, you were holding the rope for us while we were there uh, in, in that place. Um, this morning, I want us to look in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. We're, go- we're just going to break apart one verse. Uh, if, you, if you were to look back throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians in um, chapter 2, he actually says that uh, he wants the church to be of one mind, to have one goal. And years ago when I was in seminary, I thought about that and just uh, I wondered what Paul was talking about when he said one goal. And so I just started looking through at that time, looking through the passages. And I found here in chapter 3, verse 10, where he says, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. And so at the time I was thinking, well, I don't know if that's what Paul meant back in chapter 2 when he said everyone should have the same mind having that one goal. Uh, But I took it back then and made that my life verse. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. And so I want us to look at that verse, kind of break it apart and see what does that mean for us today. Let's go, Lord, in prayer. Father, we, we ask for your spirit to move throughout this place today. Lord, we need you to instruct us on what you would have us to walk away 
from this passage this morning. We need you to speak through me, to use the words that I use to honor you, Father, to draw attention to you and your greatness. We, we need you, Father, to move in each one of our hearts to find that one little nugget of truth that you have in this passage for each one of us that we would walk out of here different this morning than when we came in. Lord, we need you to shine a light into the dark corners of our hearts where we sweep things away. Where we put things under the rug, lock them in a closet. We need you, Father, to convict us if that is what's needed. We need you to comfort us if that's what's needed. Our desire this morning, Father, is just to allow you to work in a way that would bring glory to your name in this place, this hour, later today, throughout the week, throughout the month, for the rest of our days. Lord, I pray that you would draw us, compel us, to recognize your greatness, to apply the truths in our lives, and to be on work to draw the attention of others to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So he says, my goal is to know him. And here, when he uses this word, to know, he is not talking about some academic exercise here. He's not talking about something where we read about it and we study about it and we know about it in our heads. Uh, as a matter of fact, if you look at this, uh, this similar word back in the Old Testament, it is a word that we've heard many times. I don't know if you've used to watch Seinfeld or not, but that episode where it went yada, 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 that word yada is the word to know. And it is a word to know, as, and it is an intimate word. Matter of fact, throughout the scriptures, it talks about, and he knew his wife intimately. And it's not talking about sex per se, it's just talking about Everything that goes with that, there is an intimacy there about knowing this person. Here, he is saying, I want to know him. And he knows. Paul understands this is not something you get by sitting in a class or by an, a, a crazy revelation that you get in your quiet time. This is a lifelong process of knowing him. Paul here is saying that I want to know you. I'm spending the time to know you. I'm going to put in the effort to know you and not just know about you, but to truly know what you're about. God, the Bible talks about how, yeah, the demons, they, they, they believe in God and they tremble. So head knowledge must not be the goal here. It has to be something else. And to know him, he is talking about spending intentional time studying, intentional time walking with him. It's not something you do on Sunday mornings and throughout the rest of the week you can just do your own thing. It's at work, you know him. It's in the marketplace, you know him. You continually learn more and apply and know him. Man, when I, uh, when I was a kid growing up, I, was, I loved football. And in the 70s, I, there was a wide receiver, many of you probably have never heard. His name was Fred Bolitnikoff. He was a wide receiver with the Oakland Raiders, and I wanted to be like that guy. 
So much so that I, when I found out he was doing these certain things, my brother and I would go out into the backyard or we'd go in the woods next door. We lived on a dead-end street. We'd go out in the woods and I would actually run through the trees like they were linebackers. And he would throw the ball to me just around a tree somewhere. I ran into a lot of trees when I was a little kid. I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. Most football players aren't. But, but I did those things because that's what Fred Bolitnikoff did. And I became a better wide receiver. I believe a better wide receiver for doing those things. But as I got to know Fred Bolitnikoff, I realized I really did not want to be like Fred Bolitnikoff. Because it wasn't just about what he did on the football field. It was about who he was as a person. He was a chain smoker, a drug addict. He chased women. He did all of these. And even th- this is before I was a believer. This is before I was a Christian. I did not want to be like that. And so the more I knew about him, the more I pushed him away. See, that's the difference. I knew about him, but I still didn't want to apply those things in my life. Here, Paul is saying, I know him. I want to know him more. And when I get to the place where I feel like I know him, how many of us realize this in our Christian walk? The more I know about God, the more I realize I don't know about God. There is some truth in that. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And so the journey is a continuous thing. I have to know more about this God and who he is, this creator, this sustainer. I have to know. And so here he's talking about, he, he's, he's saying one of his goal is to know him. The second thing he says is I want to know the power of his resurrection. The power of his resurrection. Now, Christ died on the cross. We know that. We know that he was buried and we know that he was raised from dead. As a matter of fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians 15, chapter one, or, I mean, verse 1. It says, Now, brothers, I want to clarify for you the gospel I pre proclaim to you. You received it and have taken your stand on it. You are also saved by it. And if you hold the message I proclaim to you, unless you believe to no purpose, for I pass on to you as most important what I also received. And this is what he said in these verses. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, when when we read this, we see that there are three verbs there. We see that the verbs are that he died, he was buried, and that he was raised. What's interesting is that the tense of those those verbs are not all the same. They all seem like they're past tense. The first two, he died and was buried. He died and was buried. That is a a tense of a verb to say it's a completed task. It's an event that's not going to happen again. It's it's done. But the second one is more known as a perfect tense verb, which is it's a completed task, but the results are continuing on. And many of us would look at that verse and say, contextually, that that is talking about the fact that Jesus is resurrected. He was raised from the dead, and he is alive continuously he is alive he is not dying again he is alive but also that the effects of that resurrection what does that mean for us what is the power of the resurrection in our lives well his death and resurrection conquered sin and death correct the same thing is true for us if we live in the power of the resurrection we can conquer sin we can through him 
conquer death. We can't do it in and of ourselves. That is why it is the power of his resurrection in our lives. It is something that we have to walk in. It is something that we have to believe in. It is something that we have to trust in. It's not just something that we have to walk around and go, man, I hope it happens today. We are firm in our faith. We are true to who he is, and we walk in a way that honors him no matter what that is. And we trust that in the power of his resurrection, the things that he's called us to do, those things are going to happen. It is not about proving to the world that we have certain gifts. It's not about drawing attention to what we do. It is about drawing attention to who he is in our lives as he works through us. I often say this, that God is more concerned in all honesty about what he does in each one of us than what we will ever do for him. And if he does something in us, then it is a certainty that he is going to do something through us. If we allow him to fill us, if we allow him to transform us, if we allow him to live through us, in us, then there is no doubt that he is going to do something through us. And we will be able to say, it's not me, it's all him. It is all about what he has said. It is all about what he has done. It is all about what he wants us to do. And I'm just a traveler on this journey. I am walking with him and he is working in me. And because of that, these things are happening. The only way I can explain the things that happened to us in an Islamic country in North Africa is that God was doing some work and I was just along for the ride. When out of the blue, guys would just show up and ask me about Jesus. When one day I was walking down a street going home for lunch, I was hungry. My stomach was talking to me. I was, and it was growling loud enough that I know people around me, when I was sitting at that one cafe, they could hear it. I was hungry. So I was on my way home for, for lunch, and as I was walking past this street, felt an urge. I can't explain it. It was just something inside me that said, turn left. I walked past about 20 feet, and, it, and I just said, don't miss out. Turn left. Go back. Turn down that road. Oh, man, I'm hungry. I was, honestly, there were things in my mind that that must be indigestion, or it must be hunger pains, or it must be I'm losing my mind, whatever. But I went down this road several blocks, and, and, I'm, and, I, and again, I cannot explain it. It was at a cafe, and it was an empty table. Sit there. Just something in my gut said, sit there. I didn't hear an audible voice or anything. So I went and sat there. The guy came out, asked me what I wanted. I got my mint tea. I sat there, waited a few minutes. I'm, God, I'm hungry. And all of a sudden, around to my right, I heard this. In Morocco, what they do is they don't holler out after you. They hiss at you when they want your attention. You're walking across the street, someone you know. They don't say, hey, George. They go, They hiss, and everybody turns. Okay, so I'm sitting here. I hear this. I turn around and look, and there's two young men beside on, on the side of the wall of the cafe, and the first words out of their mouth are, are you a Christian? Yeah. Were you sent to us? I had no idea what they meant until I realized, oh, my word, God brought me here. So I said, I think so. So they came up and sat down. The guy came out, ordered a tea, and we, had a, and we started having a conversation. And basically the, long, the short story is that they had heard on uh, Trans World Radio, 
They had heard a guy from Morocco talk about Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. We don't know what this means. Can you explain it to us? Well, I think I can. Yes. Because the previous several weeks, I was actually working on that exact verse to share with a church that I was going. So my Arabic was sweet. It was in its comfort zone when it comes to that particular verse. Not only weeks out had God been getting me ready for this event, he had gotten them ready for that event by letting them hear and brought us together so that we could sit down and talk about what that verse meant. And when they left, they said, I know what we have to do now, but we cannot do it right here. Too many people are watching. Now, I'm not one of those who believes you have to pray a prayer to become a follower of Christ. All right? I'm not one of those guys. I'm just one who says, man, you've got to commit yourself to follow and walk in, in, in Christ. You, you, it, it's, it's a lifestyle and a mental commitment, yes, but it's not a prayer that's going to do it. I prayed when I was 12 years old to receive Christ, and all that did was get me in the front line of VBS for the cookies. That's all that did. I was not a Christian because I prayed that prayer. And I don't know how many countless others, when I used to work youth camps during the summers, that we would pray prayers with them, and the next summer those same kids would come forward. And that's when the light bulb started going off in my head. This prayer is meaningless without a heart behind it that is truly devoted to following Christ. And so these two young men, I never saw them again. But I, knew, I know this much, that there was something happened weeks out in advance that brought all of this together. And I expect to one day when we're standing up there in heaven, I expect these two boys to come up to me and, talk, and we're going to have a great conversation about what went on in their life and what little part. And believe me, what I did was such a little part. God did all of that work. He talked to them through a radio. Some, for some reason, got me to study in a, one verse and developing a little mini-sermon in Arabic so that I could sit down and share with it. He orchestrated all of this stuff together, and I was just willing to kind of walk in a way that is worthy of his great love at that time. Now, that, I don't want you to think I'm, set, I'm making myself out to be some great guy. I'm not. I fail him often. But that one time, I saw him working in a way that I did not understand. I was one of those Southern Baptists who went over there and started hearing people talking about Muslims coming to faith through their dreams and visions. Oh, man. Boy, we don't believe that in Southern Baptist life. We don't have anything to do with that. And then, but I kept hearing this testimony. 70% of the church in Morocco comes to faith initially by having dreams and visions about a white figure standing before them saying, come and follow me. And I remember sitting at a cafe with my wife once and talking with her, and she was telling me about a friend that she was talking And every time they were trying to get to a gospel conversation, she was switching the subject around. She would change it on it. We've all had that, right, where you're trying to tell people about your faith and your, your walk with God. You're trying to share the gospel with them, and somehow they switch it, right? So my wife was frustrated. We're at the cafe, and, and I said this. Well, babe, you know, you, I don't know if I buy into this, but this is a good place to test it. Let's pray that she will have a dream about God. And we sat at that cafe, held hands across the table. We prayed for this lady to have a dream that God would visit her in her dreams. Two weeks later, my wife's at her house. There's a third party there, and they're having this conversation. This third party and my wife are going back and forth. And all of a sudden, Shannon's friend started defending the gospel. 
defending things that they were having arguments with. No, that's not what she said. What she's saying is, and Shannon was confused. She, she, usually it come, it's coming this way, but she's doing this with her friend. When her friend finally leaves, Shannon said, what is going on here? And her friend wheeled around and said, you told your God to come to me in my dreams, and I've had dreams every night for the last two weeks. Explain it. My wife was willing to walk in, a, in the power of his resurrection, to recognize that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is working, that Jesus is not limited by Southern Baptist doctrine, Southern Baptist ways of doing missions. Jesus is not limited by that, and that we need to trust him more than we do whatever things we were taught growing up or what the, what the church means or what the television tells us what the church is about. We need to listen to him. We need to live in the power of his resurrection. Fellowship of his suffering is the third thing. There. He says, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Now, these are two. When I first saw this, I thought, man, fellowship that's the word for koinonia. All right? And we, if, if you don't know what the word, if you don't, are not familiar with koinonia, then it's basically, it's the idea that we use for Christian fellowship. Christian, more than just gatherings, it's that coming together in partnership and working together and, and living life together and, 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 and all of that. And many churches around the United States, they look at that word and they think, well, if we can just have enough ham and bean potluck suppers, then, boy, we can make koinonia happen. Or if we just get together for enough game nights, then, man, koinonia is going to happen. And I'm here to say that gatherings is not equal to koinonia. Koinonia is a partnership. It is a partaking of something. And here it is saying that there is a koinonia of suffering. I want you to look, just look in First John chapter 1 with me, if you wouldn't mind. First John Man, I don't hear any Bibles chain turning out here. Do we got Bibles in the building? All right. Listen, seriously, I really would like for you, if you got a Bible in front of you, to open that thing up and look. Don't take my word for it. All right? Don't walk out here saying, well, the preacher said, that ain't going to do nothing when you're standing before God and God's asking you why this or why that. Don't blame, you're not going to be able to blame me. God's going to hold me accountable extra anyway. All right? So 1 John chapter one, starting in verse 5. Now this is the message that we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light, and there is absolutely no darkness in him. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. All right. If we say that we are followers of Christ and we're not living a life for Christ, then we're liars. We are liars. Don't look at me and hate me. Look at this right here. That's what it's saying. If you say you are walking in the light, if you say you have fellowship with him and yet you're walking in darkness, then you are lying and not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. I want you to look at that verse. That's the verse I want you to focus on. If we... 
If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. It is, ta- it is not talking about our focus should be on each other. It is not saying that you and I are going to have fellowship because you and I spend time together. It is not talking about how we get together and we have a nice meal and, boy, that was great. I'm full. This is wonderful. It is not, talk- it is not talking about proximity. It says if I walk in the light as he is in the light and you walk in the light as he is in the light, we have koinonia. We can't make it happen if we're not walking in the light with him. If our focus is not on him, then koinonia is not going to happen. If it's focused on a Wednesday night potluck or a Friday night game night, it's not going to happen. There'll be good times. There'll be memories made, but it will not be koinonia. Koinonia is kind of that spiritual ligament that ties us together in a way that people look at that and go, man, they got something different. That's what koinonia is. It is, I hear the term sometimes, I've been out of the country so long, but I think there's a term now, you know, living life together. I think that's a term that churches use these days maybe, or maybe that's in the, a little bit in the past, or there's, there's certain catchphrases that we use. And honestly, the number one thing about having fellowship together is that our focus is on Him. And as you walk in the light as He is in the light, and I walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship We have koinonia. Now, what does that have to do with suffering? Same way. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, what's going to happen to us? What is going to happen in our lives? And if you look over into Romans with me, we'll see a little bit about what that might be. I believe it's Romans chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 15. And the first part of this, everybody loves. Everybody loves the first part of this. But let me just read it for you here. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We, you know, we've heard that on the radio, and you know, it's kind of one of those you know, warm, fuzzy, milk toast kind of verses that we can get a good feeling over, right? It's just, it's just something that makes us feel good about who we are in Christ. And, it, and in all honesty, it should, but it doesn't stop there. Read on. The Spirit himself testifies together that with, with our spirit that we are God's children. Man, it, doesn't, it, it gets better, doesn't it? It's just building up. Not only as we are adopted into the, not only is he Abba Father and we're sons and children and all that he said and if children also heirs man we're not only a part of the family but man we get to take on all of this all of this stuff is belongs to him we are heirs of we get to participate in that heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ look at this seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him It's not so milk, toast, warm, fuzzy anymore, is it? The Abba Father part's still there. The children of God part's still there. The whole heirs part is still there. There's just that little added thing that seeing that we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, suffering is going to look different. You know, I mean, ridicule for your faith. Honestly, that, that can be traumatic for a teenager in school or a college person in school when everybody starts ridiculing, mocking, and all that. 
But it has to be because of your faith. It can't be, oh, I lost my job because the economy's bad. I guess that's my cross to carry. Wrong. The suffering that we're talking about here, remember, it's the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of his suffering that means that we are fully able. We are more than willing to embrace the suffering that comes with walking with him. Not avoiding difficult times because of our faith. Oh man, are you a Christian? No. I remember in Morocco there was one young man, Ahmed, who would not deny his faith even if a police officer came up and said, are you a Christian? Because in an Islamic country, it's illegal for them to convert. But Ahmed would look at a guy and say, yes, I am a Christian. And would witness to the guy. And you know, Ahmed never experienced a lot of troubles. He just, he, and he, t- he used to tell me, the reason I believe that is because God is honoring the, honoring the fact that I honor him. I do not deny him, therefore he does not deny me. He's there to protect me. Somehow he intervenes. He takes care of me. He does these things for me. That's just Ahmed's theology. But it doesn't always work out that way either. There are those who suffer. I know a young man in, in one city I went and visited him while he was in prison. He was slapped around so much he lost the hearing in one of his ears. One young man, I remember going up and shaking his hand. There's only one guy I baptized my whole time when I was in North Africa. And the only reason I baptized him was because two church leaders wanted to know what you said when you baptized someone. They didn't take, they wanted to see it done. They didn't want me to just tell them how to do it and let them go do it. I believe the church should be baptizing people. And so I wanted the Moroccan church to be baptizing these individuals. But this young man, I baptized him and and did This young man... Uh, witness to his cousin, and his cousin became a believer. I met his cousin, and we shook hands, and as his sleeve, he extended his arm, and his sleeve came up, I noticed a scab on his arm. And when I said something about it, he was, you could tell he's bashful, he pulled the sleeve back down and said, oh, it's no problem. And the young man told his cousin, no, you can tell him. And he started telling me that every night at the supper table, his family knows he's a believer, and his father takes a fork and puts it over an open flame at at the supper table every night, every night. Are you ready to come back to Islam to give up this ridiculous Jesus religion? Are you ready to come? And he would say, no, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he would take that hot fork and burn his arm every night. He pulled up his sleeve, and from his wrist up to his elbows, he had layers of scabs all up and down his arm. And the father figure in me, the Baptist preacher in me, the just the American in me wanted to figure out how to fix this, how to make this better. I was welling up with tears. All this stuff, all these things were going through my head. How can I get this young man out of this situation? And he, stopped, he looked at me and said, why are you so, the word is, it's not really emotional, but he was asking, why are you so emotional about this? Jesus suffered so much for me. Why can't I suffer just a little for him? Young man was a believer less than six months, taught me a missionary volumes that day that we have to be willing to accept that if we're going to walk in a way that honors him. And that is one of those downers in the church that people don't like to hear. But it is a reality. Paul knew that when he said, I want to know him. I want to know this 
Jesus better and better and better. And the more I know, and I want to know more. And he just kept growing in his relationship with him. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to walk in a way that sees God working through me that people just can't explain. I want to be able to conquer sin in my life. I can't do that in and of myself. I can only do that through Christ and Christ alone. I can't take care of all these other issues. They can just become so insurmountable, these objects in my life, that as I look at the obstacles that they overwhelm me, they just take over my life. Even, even, even when we keep our eyes on the successes we have, we take our eyes off Jesus because we're too busy patting ourselves on the back. Here, Paul is saying, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. I want to be willing that if the time comes, I will even be willing to give up my life for that. And let me just say, that was not supernatural. That is the norm. That's for each one of us. It is not just for the missionary. It is not just for the apostle. It is not just for the pastor. It is not for the elders or the deacons. It is for everyone who calls themselves Christ followers. And the fourth thing, Paul said, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering. And the fourth thing is being conformed to his death. We just, when we talked about the resurrection part earlier, we talked about Christ dying on the cross. And, and the purpose of that is that he loved us, knew that we had no hope, nothing was going to help the situation, the fact that we were depraved, we had no way of helping ourselves. None whatsoever. The Bible tells us that each one of us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Every one of us. Christ went to the cross because of every one of us. He wanted us to have an option. He wanted us to be able to experience the hope that God wants to give us. He gives us an exit off of this highway. We have to decide to take it. We have to decide this highway that mankind is on, this highway to destruction, he gives us exits that we can get off, and those exits always point to Christ. Christ's death on the cross was one that was for people to be transformed. It's not about eternal life. That's a, listen, that's, it's not fire insurance. When, when, when I became a Christian, in all honesty, that's what I, my motivation, man, I don't want to go to hell. So for me, it was fire insurance. But the more I knew about God, the more I learned about God, the more I realized that it's not just about me staying out of hell. It's about glory going to God. It's about God being honored in our lives. Not just about the end times, but in our day-to-day walks here. And so here he says, here he says that I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Paul was saying, I want to give my life for the same reason that Christ gave his life. And he kind of explains that in 2 Corinthians, if you wouldn't mind turning there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Starting in verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16. 
From now on then, we do not know anyone in a purely human way. Even if we have known Christ in a purely human way, yet now we no longer know him like that. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. All right, the process is beginning here. We were one way and we became Christ followers. We have given our life. We have recognized our need for him. We have become Christ followers and now we are changing we are being transformed. Here he uses the word new creation. Old things have passed away. Whatever it is you liked before that you find out, man, that is materialistic, that is temporary, that is not going to be of eternal value. You start thinking, all oh, those old things, they're passing away. Behold, old, th- look, new things have come. Now everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I want you to look at that. Look at that verse again. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, for me, that is what, when I look at this, I see other places in the scripture, that's what it means to be conformed to his death, is to be partners in the ministry of reconciliation. God said we have been reconciled to him through Christ Our goal is to point other people through Christ so that they can be reconciled to God. That is our ministry, every one of us. Look at what it says further on. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Again, he says, he has committed this message of reconciliation to us, to each one of us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ ambassadors is someone who represents. When I was in Morocco, I got to know the ambassador. Matter of fact, you see him on a CNN every now and then, but the ambassador to Morocco. And he, would, he said to me one time, uh, something along the lines of, there are times my personal opinion, I want to just shout it out to the Moroccan government or whatever, but I can't because I represent the United States government. I am an ambassador of the United States. My personal preferences are secondary. And other ambassadors or people who worked at the embassies, all of them felt the same way, that they, were the, they could not. Christians who work in those embassies could not stand up and say enough because they were representatives of the United States, not their own personal preferences. And here he's saying that we are ambassadors for Christ. Certain that God is appealing through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, the, the, here I believe that when Paul is doing this one verse, it, it, it starts off with knowing him, and it ends with making him known. And that's what our lives should be about. Our lives should be about us having our attention drawn to his greatness every minute of the day. And let me just say, I struggle with that. I'm not sitting up here saying I'm the model for that. I'm not, I, I, I feel uncomfortable when I see Paul say, imitate me because I know in my head who I am and what I am about. I struggle in, those, in certain things. I'm not sometimes, you know, watching a football game on television is more important than a lot of things. And I'm not proud to say that. But he's calling each one of us to be involved in the ministry of reconciliation, of knowing him and making him known. 
And our attention should be drawn to him in every way. And in doing that, we will be drawing the attention of others to him as well. Not to us, because if we're doing it so that we can pat ourselves on the back, if we're doing it because we've got certain talents or abilities, and we're drawing the attention to us, we need to tweak it a little bit and continue to say, only by the grace of God. Or only because God has done this in my life. Somehow, we've got to deflect it back to his greatness, not what we're doing. And so here he says, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God in him. And let me just close with this. In the very next verse, chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Working together with him, we also appeal to you. Don't receive God's grace in vain. My brothers and sisters, I have to tell you, we have an awesome, awesome in weightiness, awesome in sometimes burdensome, awesome in just the task that's before us, but awesome also in wow. Awesome as in, man, the journey is worth it. My sons, they would, sometimes my sons will say something like, man, I wish I could have played football in high school or I wish I could have gone to the prom or I wish I could, you know, they, they bring up these things that they missed out on because we were overseas. But if, and I used to interject in there, yeah, but you couldn't have rode a camel in the desert in the Sahara Desert, could you? You couldn't have stand at the Taj Mahal and check that out. You couldn't get on an airplane and ride around Mount Everest up in Nepal, could you? You couldn't, and so we just, you know, we, we were able to do a lot of these things when we would take trips or go to meetings or just because we lived there, but after that, after they were young and they started getting older, they started saying, they, they quit saying so much, I wish I was in America because they looked at the journey that we were on and they saw, man, that was awesome. Because now they come back and they talk to, you know, they got pictures up in their room and kids come into their college dorms and they look up and say, man, what was that? And they say, oh, that's when we rode camels out in the desert in Sahara Desert. Whoa, that was awesome. Yeah, well, that was a side thing. My dad would tell stories like, and they would share the stories that I would tell them at dinner that night of what happened during the day in Fez, in Rabat, in Allahabad, India. Those things that daily when I would encounter, sometimes they weren't good things. Sometimes they were hard things. Sometimes they were difficult things. But boy, there was a lot of times like those few handful of stories I told you that they were glorious things. And it was nothing but just, you know, they, they could honestly say, well, I know my dad and that ain't dad. Dad didn't do that. That was a God thing. They know me well enough to know I can't pull those things off, but they know God well enough to know that God can pull those things off in my dad. And that's all God wants. That's all Christ wants in this, us to do is to not take this grace in vain, to step out in faith, to know him and to make him known, to, to walk in the power of his resurrection, to be willing to walk in the, the koinonia, the fellowship of his suffering, to be, have our lives conformed to his death. Do not let this pass you by do not look back five years you know in five years look back in five years and say man what did I miss out on take a chance walk in faith you know be willing let Christ be at the tip of your tongue so that when opportunity presents itself it's there you don't have to dig in your brain for that file that you can pull out that you learned make it a part of your DNA let it be so natural that they look at you and go man you are one unique dude Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful 
for how I have seen you work in the lives of colleagues and even my own family's life over the years. I, I am so thankful that friends that I have had and seen you do some remarkable things in their lives. I'm, Lord, even today I pray for that young man in Morocco, and I don't know where he is, but that he taught me volumes about your greatness that day. I pray for Nordine, who taught me volumes about your ability to provide when there is no job or opportunities and living a single life and being alone, but yet he still goes out and does what he does to further your kingdom, to be an ambassador for the kingdom of God. I pray for Anis in India and remember him and his encouragement in me when I felt low and he would just tell me the stories of when he was a Muslim and what he went through when he became a follower of Christ. One after the other, as I remember these, Father, I am so thankful that I was able to come across their lives and they were able to invest in my life and to, Lord, I pray the same for all of us here, that we would be that way to someone else, not be the recipient of that, But, Father, we would be that way. We would be that one willing to point to Christ in everything in our lives. To recognize even in the difficult times, God is there and providing for our needs and walking with us through the difficulties, Father. Let us be that guy for those around us. Father, help us as we walk with you to know you more and to make you known. It's in Christ's name we pray.